Those are great words in Isaiah 40, aren't they? I remember I went back, you know, because of the Internet. Now, everything that we preached over the last two years is is out there for everyone to hear till the end of time. So I went back and on this particular Sunday, the last Sunday of the year last year, here was my opening sentence in the sermon that I preached. Have you ever felt it can't get any worse than this? That's probably been your theme from 2020. That was my opening sentence. Well, here we are at the end of 21, and it probably feels like the same thing. (laughs) Can it get any worse than this? And for a lot of people, 2021 has been like a a punch in the gut, in the stomach, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things have happened to many of us, financially, relationally, socially, related to health, mental well-being, certainly COVID. Uh, And I know that many of us today are feeling buried under the weight of what has been a really, really discouraging year. I was reading, maybe you heard uh, about two weeks ago, there were uh, severe tornadoes that went through the kind of the mid-southeastern United States, in particular, the state of Kentucky, really hit hard. And there were the, a storm system that moved uh, about 400 kilometers uh, through the area. And there was one particular part that spawned about four tornadoes. And one of those tornadoes was so severe, it traveled for 250 kilometers, just destroying everything in its path. There were a few communities that were just completely, completely wiped out. Just incredibly powerful storms. And I remember as I was reading, I came across this account from one of the survivors uh, in one of these hardest hit areas. And and here she was in a a building, uh, some kind of a factory, and she was doing work and the alarm sounded that there was a tornado and they started to hear a lot of of noise. And here's what she says. I'll just read this, uh, this article. She says, while attendance was being taken... You could see a little dust of wind, and then all of a sudden my ears started popping, and it was like the building, uh, inside the building, we all just rocked back and forth, and then, boom, everything just fell in on us. The building just collapses on top of these people. So she's pinned by debris, and she's on her phone, and I don't know why, but she's broadcasting on Facebook Live, but she's also calling 999 She's calling her mother. She doesn't know if she's going to survive. And, and this was, I thought this was really kind of ominous. She knew that rescuers were around only when she could feel the pressure from above of people walking on the debris that was covering her. And so she starts screaming and she says, help, can you please move this debris so that I can move my leg? And one of the rescuers said, ma'am. There's about five feet worth of debris on top of you. Just imagine you're at work and all of a sudden everything collapses and you're buried under five feet of rubble. And as I read that, I thought maybe that's a good description of how 2021 felt for a lot of people. You feel like you're buried under five feet of rubble and you're just dying to have someone clear it away so that you can be free, so that you can be free. And so 
Who can we look to in those moments? Who can we trust in that is able to clear away that rubble in order that we might be free? Well, Isaiah 40 is a great picture uh, of that kind of God, uh, our God. Isaiah wrote uh, in, in the, in the, at the end of the 8th century B.C., several hundred years before uh, the, the uh, tribe of Judah was taken into exile by Babylon. But Isaiah writes, especially in chapter 40, to those who would be captive in the nation of Babylon in the future. So he writes prophetically, looking ahead to the time when Judah will be in captivity. And he writes to encourage them, those who will be captive, he writes to encourage them that God is able to deliver them. And so the question is, will they, will they follow? I mean, after 70 years in captivity, would they believe that God was big enough to actually overcome and rescue them and to deliver them? I mean, think about it. Year after year after year of saying, well, it can't get much worse than this. Maybe things will go back to normal now. After so many times and years of saying that, the light begins to fade, doesn't it? And you start to wonder, is God really able to clear away this rubble and this debris, this mess that we've made of things? Is he really able to clear it away and deliver us? And Isaiah, in order to encourage them that God is willing, that he is able to do that, speaks prophetically these words in Isaiah 40. In the first 11 verses, Isaiah is going to assure these exiles that God longs to deliver them. He wants to deliver them. He cares for them. Now, again, if if 2021 has been one of those years for you, maybe you're doubting that. Maybe you're doubting if God really does care for you. Well, let these words speak to your heart. God does deeply care for his people. It's very emphatic from the very beginning, if you want to follow along. In verse one, he says, comfort, comfort. And then he says, my people, says your God. He owns them and he invites them to take comfort in the fact that they are still his people. Verse two, he says to the prophet, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. God wants to encourage these, his people, that he longs to deliver them. They should receive encouragement from these words and take heart and believe. And he says to them, the discipline that they had endured. Remember, the Babylonian captivity was a result of the disobedience of Judah. It was a discipline from God that came. And the prophet assures them that God's discipline for them has ended. Their iniquity has been pardoned. That they have received from the Lord's hand the discipline that their sin demanded. Now we know from later in chapter 53, we know that 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 iniquity has ultimately been forgiven on the back of another. It was a suffering servant that paid the penalty for us and them and for our sin. But the price has been paid in full. And so the announcement comes in verse three that that pictures God coming in might to the aid of his people. Just listen to the image in verses three to five. 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And and here's what happens when God comes. Every valley shall be lifted up. Now, if you lift up the low places, and then he says every mountain shall be brought low. If you bring down the high places, you have a level path. God's clearing the way in order that he might come to deliver his people. And the glory of the Lord, verse 5, shall be revealed And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The picture is of God coming to help his chosen people, to deliver them and to accomplish his plan. And he returns gloriously. This is the picture, again, of God coming to deliver his people. And look how verse 5 ends. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's a certainty. This is what God is going to do. This is what God is going to do. And verses six to eight kind of act as a parenthesis to to further reinforce the certainty of this promise. The mouth of the Lord has promised deliverance. But then you might think, but sure, don't people promise all kinds of things and don't deliver? You know, maybe a repairman promises to come to your house and you know you're not going to see him. Right. Don't people just say things all the time and never and don't deliver on them. Uh, on what they say they're going to do. That's what Isaiah says in verse six. All flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower of the, or the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades. People are, are, are fickle. People, uh, they don't keep their word. They say things that they think will make us feel good, but they don't have any intention of backing them up. How can we trust God? God is different. The end of verse eight. But the word of our God will stand forever. God is not like us. God's word is certain. God's word is sure. It is dependable. Where we are unfaithful, he is utterly trustworthy. Again, in verse five, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He longs to deliver his people. He longs to deliver his people. And so in verse nine, this one, the, the, the ones who have been delivered become the messengers to the nations of the same good news that God longs to deliver, that God longs to deliver his people. So he says, get up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold your God. And just watch the the image that we see here in verses 10 and 11 of who this God is that we are to behold. Verse 10, behold, the Lord God comes with might, with strength, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. So God, this mighty God who longs to deliver his people is going to come in strength to pull the rubble off of his people and to, to pull them out and deliver them. God is pictured as coming in his might as a great warrior king. And he's returning from battle with the spoils of victory. 
And I think the image uh, in chapter 61 of Isaiah is that the rewards of his victory are the people that he has rescued, that he has rescued these people and he is bringing them with him as he comes in might to deliver. He comes in strength. He comes in power. He comes with his arm raised. And yet, look at what else he does with his arm. Look at verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. As one scholar said that the arm raised in triumph is lowered in compassion. That this God who comes in ultimate victory and strength and might and power, this unstoppable God also comes as a gentle shepherd caring for his people. And notice, uh, notice he says uh, that he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That even the most delicate among his people, he will care for them. He will lead them gently. And so God is pictured as our strong and tender shepherd king who longs to deliver his people. So yes, God still cares for his people. This is what the prophet wants to communicate. Whatever slowness that we might perceive. In other words, we say, God, okay, you you say you want to deliver, so deliver then already. But whatever slowness that we might perceive as God works out his plan, it can never be confused with a lack of concern. That God does care for his people. He loves his people and he desires for their deliverance. But that kind of begs a question, doesn't it? It's one thing for someone to say that I desire something. But it's another thing for someone to be able to deliver on it. So I might say to you, I desire to give everyone in the room a million euro. There's checks under your chair. You can have a look and see. And then most of you wouldn't even bother looking, right? Because you would say, okay, fine, Jason desires to give us a million euro, but he doesn't have the ability to do that. So it doesn't matter. And so the question is, okay, fine, God is concerned about his people. He wants to deliver, but is he able to deliver his people? Is he able to, to clear away the rubble of my life and to pull me out and set me free? I'm sure you can appreciate that these exiles might have felt, okay, fine, God may be concerned, but he's sure not doing anything. Is he able? Maybe he wants to rescue us, but he can't. Well, watch as Isaiah puts that notion to rest rather emphatically. Verses 12 to 26, Isaiah is going to make the the point that, that no one can do what God can do, that he is altogether magnificent, transcendent, glorious, powerful, above everything else in the universe. He's altogether holy and unique. And these words that Isaiah gives are intended to evoke confidence in his people And an excitement and encouragement in us as we think about how powerful and glorious our God is to do what he says he's going to do. 
what he says he wants to do. To help him demonstrate that there's nothing and no one in all of history or the cosmos like our God. He's going to give some visual markers. So just look at verse 12. He, he who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Imagine that. I don't know if you know it, but the earth is about two thirds water. If you took all of the land on planet earth, it would fit in the Pacific Ocean alone. It's a lot of water. And the way Isaiah pictures the might and the transcendence of God is that he's able to hold all of those waters in the hollow of his hand. Like you would scoop up water to wash your face in the morning. God is able uh, to do that. He is that big and transcendent. Or continue, he says, I marked off the heavens with a span. Uh, imagine, you know, you look, up, uh, you look up at night to the stars above us. And the furthest star that you can see with your naked eye on a dark night with really good vision is about 12 to 16 light years away. 12 to 16 million light years away. Sorry, it's a long way. 12 to 16,000 light years away. That's like over 5 trillion miles. It's a long way, right? So that's the span of your hand. That God in his transcendence is able to mark that out. He is that big. He is that powerful. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord in verse 13? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge or showed him the way of understanding? Well, the answer is no one. No one was God's tutor. No one said, God, you know, I know you think this, but, but you're probably not right in the way you're thinking. Let me, let me help you here. Let me give you some guidance. No one said that. God is all wise. He is all understanding. If he says it, it is good. Behold, verse 15, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Think about the mighty empires that have ruled the earth over the years, just a drop, and are accounted as dust on the scales. The, the image there is when you would go to the market and you would put your, your whatever money you were using to pay whatever precious metal, and they would put the product on the other side to balance them out. When you took those off, there was inevitably a little, almost imperceivable layer of dust on the scales. It was so insignificant that the, the vendors didn't even, bother, uh, didn't even bother with it. It was utterly insignificant. And that's the picture. These mighty empires, these mighty governments that are completely insignificant in the eyes of the Lord. They're like the dust that settles on the scales that the vendor doesn't even bother with because it's insignificant. In verse 16 and 17, there aren't enough trees in the forest or animals in the world to give God the worship that he deserves. Verse 18, to whom will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? An idol? In other words, is there something that you can make that would somehow compare to the greatness and transcendence of the God that you serve? No. Not in gold, not in wood, nothing. 
He says in verse 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the, of the earth? It's he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Again, in verse 23, he brings nations to nothing. I remember several years back walking in Washington, D.C., this center of, of power uh, in terms of, of, of world governments, the center, you know, everything around you uh, when you're there, it, it just speaks of political power and might and strength. And in the eyes of God, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. He makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root when he blows on them. And they're gone. Who is like our God? Nobody is like our God. He is able to do all that he has planned to do. He is indescribably great. He's unimaginably magnificent. He's altogether powerful. There is no one like him. He is unique and transcendent. And yet, as Isaiah has already said, he is intimately personal. He loves us. He loves his people. He cares for us. And in this last section, Isaiah is going to come back to that initial thought. God is willing and he is able to deliver his people. He won't forget us. He will deliver us in his time. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob? Why do you speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. You ever said that? God, don't you see what's going on? Like the lady broadcasting on Facebook Live from under the rubble. Don't you see that I'm buried under this rubble? Have you not known, verse 28, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He transcends time. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He transcends all space and matter. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The plan that he is working out is utterly wise. And then look at verse 29. He doesn't just hold that for himself. He takes of that resource and he gives to his people. He gives power to the faint. There are times that we feel like we just can't persevere in faith. Either the temptation is too strong for us to go after something that we think will satisfy us, or we just feel that there's no hope in our present circumstance. And in those moments, God gives of his infinite resource grace to carry on in obedience, to carry on in faith, to persevere as we follow after him. 
He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. And we need it because in verse 30, even youths grow tired. Even the strongest of men and women will eventually fall because of a lack of strength, exhausted. And then verse 31, this is so great. But the ones who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. For those that feel I'm buried under the rubble, For those that feel there's no hope in carrying on, I may as well go and do this, that, or the other. I may as well give up. For those that feel that, God offers the strength and the grace to persevere. Don't have to rely on your own. He gives the grace that we need when we look to him. Well, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? Let me just offer two thoughts As I've thought about what does it mean to wait for the Lord? Is that just a a passive, okay, fine, I'm just going to sit back and fold my arms till God delivers. To wait for the Lord is to depend upon him. It's to believe that we are helpless unless he acts. It's to look to him for the grace to persevere. And look, that's not a one-time Thing one and done. Okay, God, give me the grace. Thank you. That that could be a moment by moment struggle to receive the grace of God as we wait for Him. But then waiting for the Lord also involves letting Him be God. Now, here's what I mean by that we want to take control. We want to to try to do things in our own power and and, and strength, and we want to solve problems. But if God is utterly wise, and if he is altogether good, then waiting for him means that we allow him to direct things and bring about the purpose that he desires. It means that we trust him. It means that as we receive grace to persevere, there are times where we say, God, I don't know what you're doing but I trust that you are at work. And so I'm gonna say no to this or I'm gonna continue to follow in this because I don't know what's going on. I only know that you are working and that you are faithful. So waiting for the Lord isn't just a passive, I'm gonna do nothing. It is an active act of confidence as we live our lives, not knowing where we're going, but trusting him that he will direct our paths. It's the confident expectation that he is willing and he is able and that we can rest in him receiving the strength that we need. I heard a great story from the days of the Blitz in World War II in London It's about a father that was holding his small son by the hand and he runs from, they try to run from one building uh, to another uh, because the one they were in had been struck uh, by a bomb. 
And there was a, a hole, a shell hole in the, the, the front garden as they were running. And so they were seeking shelter uh, there. And the father jumps into the hole and then he holds up his arms for the son to jump into the hole with him to take shelter. And the little the little boy is, is terrified. And so he hears his father saying, OK, jump, I'll catch you. Jump, jump. But the boy says to his father, I can't see you. Can't see you. So you're telling me to jump, but I can't see you. And the father looks up against the sky and the sky is tinted red with all the the explosions and the the flames in the, the distance. And he calls to the silhouette of his son. He says, I understand, but I can see you. Jump. You're not you may not be able to see me, but I can see you. So jump. Trust me. Trust me. And so the boy jumped. And that's how we feel sometimes, isn't it? God says, trust me. I love you. I'm willing to deliver you and I'm able to deliver you. Trust my timing. And we say, but God, I can't see it. I'm buried under five feet of rubble. And he says, that's okay. I'll give you the grace that you need. Just trust me. So look, as we close the ribbon, as we tie the ribbon off on 2021, may have been a very difficult year. It was a difficult year for all of us, but for different ones in different ways. As we tie the ribbon off, it's not like we get a, a reset and 2022 kind of automatically starts over, right? We carry the same stuff with us from 21 into 22. But as we do that, remember that our Heavenly Father loves us. And he sees us and he is working and nothing can stop him. And he gives us the grace that we need if we'll follow him and look to him. Let's pray. Father, you are good. And Father, we thank you that you are strong when we are weak. We thank you that you see us when we can't see what's going on. And Father, I pray that you would help us as we leave one difficult year. And I don't know, maybe we don't have much hope that the next year is going to be any better. And frankly, it may not be. It may be worse. Father, give us the eyes to see that you are working out a plan and you will be faithful to do what you've promised. Give us the grace to persevere in obedience to continue to faithfully follow. Well, thank you. Because of Jesus, we pray. Amen.